Well, we are nearing the end of our study in James just this Sunday and the next two Sundays, and we'll have completed James's letter to the 12 tribes uh, in the diaspora, the uh, Jews that had left Jerusalem and were um, worshiping God outside of Jerusalem. They were worshiping God through Jesus Christ. So as we've been going through our book, one of the things we've noticed along the way is that a number of topics that James uh, picks up and speaks to actually are topics that are included in Leviticus chapter 19. And it turns out today's verse is one of those as well. Today's verse is going to be James 5.12, but let's just jump back to Leviticus 19 real quickly. In verse 12 of Leviticus 19, we find these words. It says, "'You shall not swear by my name falsely.'" And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Well, like a number of other topics, then James comes and speaks to it. By the way, we also find that in the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus saying a number of teachings that speak to the teaching in the Old Testament. We find James picking up on those themes as well. And the very theme we're talking about, and we'll see the reference as we go through our conversation, but Jesus covered this topic too. With this in mind, uh, hear the word of God, James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, and may God bless our time together as well. All right, today, speaking with integrity, speaking with integrity, or speak with integrity. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to till the soil, then we'll examine the Scripture, then we'll apply it to our lives. Till the soil, examine the Scripture, then apply the Scripture to our lives. So what do we mean by till the soil? It's possible that we read James 5.12 and think, what does this have to do with me? I don't go around making oaths or, or swearing by heaven or, or, or by earth. I, this doesn't really apply to me. And, and so I want us to spend just a little time um, softening the ground of our hearts, softening the ground of our minds, so that when we go to understand what the text said, uh, says, that we're ready to receive that. And it just so happens, in order to till the soil to be prepared for this text, we need to talk a little bit about lying, lying. So which of the following questions might tempt you to lie just a little bit? How much alcohol did you drink this past week? Who did you gossip about or stir up strife behind their back over the past month? How much time do you spend watching television or YouTube did you see the email I sent you? You see, we can be tempted to distort the truth in all kinds of areas of our life. People, it turns out, can lie about their feelings. How are you doing? Fine. We can lie about our values. One of the ways that this pops up is on Sunday mornings, uh, at least pre-pandemic, we would sing aloud uh, these incredible verses, you're my all in all, or I surrender all. <laughs> and then Monday morning, well, except Monday. Uh, 
or Tuesday or, or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. But Sunday again, I surrender all. And then the rest of the week, we live out a whole different truth. We can be tempted to distort the truth about our actions, some of the classic ones. Hey, did you finish your homework? How can I say my answer in a way to where I, I yes? Um, who were you texting? How fast were you going? How much did it cost? We can lie about our actions. We can lie about our plans. Hey, I'll keep you in my prayers. Um, but don't ask me if I prayed for you. We can uh, have that response when someone asks us, would you like to come over on Thursday? Hmm. That's a good question. Thursday. Hmm. You know, I uh, I was doing research online this past week in preparation for this morning. Researching lines, uh, an interesting thing to do. I uh, found this one uh, site. It's a university back east, and they had a a posting online. They described eight different kinds of ways that we lie. They described one kind as bold, bold lying. Bold-faced lies. These are the lies that you might as well just put up a a billboard and say, I'm lying, because there's just no way it's true. Then they describe deceptive lying. Deceptive lying is a little bit more crafty, a little bit more skill involved. We, We twist or we turn and we use our words to mislead, to create a, a, a different understanding. There's denial. Denial, even in the face of all the facts, nope, nope. The evidence may say otherwise, everything may, but I just say no, I deny that being true, even though it is. There is error line. This is where we believe something to be true, even though it's not, and just because we believe it, we just keep saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it, and it's opposite of what is true. And we're in error, but we believe it to be true. So we just keep putting it out there. There's exaggeration. Exaggeration where we add to it. We pad a resume a little bit. Or when we give that answer in an interview, we just take it and let that understanding be taken a little to our advantage. Exaggeration. There's also fabrication. Well, if you've ever come across this, this is, a, this is where someone creates a narrative, and they can be incredibly creative. They, they can create a whole story behind of, of their predicament or what goes on, a whole new narrative that's not true. Maybe there's some connection to the truth, but the story itself is fabricated. There is the kind of line that's, uh, that they at least refer to as minimization, Maybe to understand this, you think of when that, re- that uh, form comes from the government and they said, what improvements have you done to your house? A- and you know that if you list all the improvements you've, you've done to your house, that your property taxes might be going up. And you try, how do I word this to where I'm not really lying, but I'm also not fully telling the truth. Then finally, there's the kind, at least on their list, of omission just leaving certain things out, just not telling the whole truth. And if we think about it, when we think about our motivations to lie, we can, we can distort, uh, be deceptive, fabricate, uh, sometimes for personal well-being, 
and sometimes for what we consider the well-being of others. When we think about our own personal well-being, there may be times that we want to protect ourselves. Gosh, we don't want to look silly or, or bad or stupid. So let's twist the facts a little bit so we don't look so silly or bad or stupid. Or, or maybe we don't want to be held accountable or, or we don't want to have to pay the price. We want to pursue our well-being and so we protect ourselves and we're willing to not be all the way truthful. Sometimes we promote ourselves. We, we want to look smart. We want to look good. We want to look insightful. In fact, we want to have the new opportunities. We, we want other people's pers- uh, their respect. And so there can be that temptation. How do I use my words? How, how do I let a falsity exist out there to my own advantage for my own well-being to promote myself? Of course, when we think about caring for others and pursuing their well-being and, and thinking about how our words matter for others, maybe sometimes we want to protect them. I don't want you to feel awkward or, or bad or stupid. So may, maybe I won't tell you the truth, or I may, maybe I'll just twist my words a little bit just so that I'll save you from that. Maybe I don't want you to be harmed unnecessarily. And so I'll, I'll find a way of creating a different story around it and, and protect you from that. Sometimes we want to promote others. In fact, we promote others and we say things in a way to, to build others up, but, but we know that maybe it's not fully true. You know, the classic one, of course those genes don't make you look whatever. Or nobody does that better than you. We begin to add the superlatives on and building people up because we want to promote them. I uh, watched a TED Talk um, given by Pamela Meyer. Uh, she wrote a book back in 2010 called Lie Spotting. And uh, her particular TED Talk is in the top 20. So like there's like 25 million uh, views of it or something like that. Anyway, she was saying in that uh, that generally that our culture is against lying. Generally, people in our culture are against lying. We, we will go out on a limb and say, you know, lying's not really a good thing. And yet, covertly, we're for it. Covertly, we make use of it quite often. In fact, her uh, research, her studies show that People tend to be lied to somewhere between 10 and 200 times a day. That's quite a range. Somewhere between 10 and 200 times a day that people are being lied to. She tells this fun little story uh, about um, Coco. Do you remember Coco, the uh, western lowland gorilla that was born in the San Francisco Zoo? And uh, they were able to teach uh, Coco. Let's put it the other way. Coco was able to learn um, a thousand different signs to communicate back to um, uh, the folks that were training him and her, and um, also could recognize something like 2,000 uh, human words and be able to know what they, they meant. Anyways, one, one day, uh, um, uh, Coco let it be known that she would like a pet, 
And so they first tried to give her a stuffed animal, and, and she would have nothing to do with it. So they finally brought this box uh, with a couple of kittens in it, and Coco picked out one of the kittens and called the kitten All Ball. Well, there's this one day, and, and uh, um, this one day where the handlers came in, and um, the sink had been ripped from the wall. And they asked Coco about it, and Coco signed Cat did it. Um, that would be a bold-faced lie, uh, a fabrication, um, just not true at all. It just shows you that, that there's this sense of, of, uh, of a culture that we can develop in lying. Now, here's the turn. A culture of lying needs to invent ways to signify when the truth is being spoken. A culture of lying then needs to invent ways to let people know when truth is being spoken, which then gets us to our text. All right, so our text, James 5, 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath couple things to pick out right away. Above all, we're not really sure why James uses the phrase above all. It, it seems interesting that, that um, given what he says in this verse, that uh, um, is this really where the whole letter has been aiming? Is this something that's at the end of what he just talked about? It doesn't seem. Maybe it's a phrase that turns us toward the end of the letter and and yet there's some internal evidence that might argue against that. So at this point, we'll just say above all and let it say, hey, you might want to pay attention to this too. And then he talks about swearing. He's not talking about being vulgar or using coarse language. He's talking about making an oath. Now, to get a little bit of a sense of the culture of the time, it would be helpful if we take a look at Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23, and we find Jesus, he has this section in Matthew's gospel where he has these woes, like he's, he's saying something about uh, the scribes and the Pharisees. These would have been the Bible teachers and the pastors of the day, and he, he confronts them. So this is in Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 through 22. Listen to what Jesus says. Just pay attention to the picture he describes. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. When we pay attention to some extra-biblical writings, like writings out of the Essenes, which was a, 
a, a sect of believers in that first century, we find that this, this uh, swearing and this oath-taking was a big deal. What it reveals to us is that a culture that has lying and deception that's a part of it needs to invent ways to signify when they're telling the truth. A culture that has line that's part of the fabric of the culture needs to invent ways of signifying when they're telling the truth. So back in the day, back in Jesus' day, they were coming up with ways, well, you can go ahead and swear by that, and it's not that big a deal if you break it, but if you swear by this, that's a big deal. And, and they were leading the people in this direction you know, we may not swear by the temple or we may not swear by the gold of the temple, but we have our own modern versions. To tell you the truth, in all candor, I mean it this time. Trust me. Or I swear. And then we give the truth. I swear this is the truth. So let's take then a look at what Jesus says on the matter when he gives the Sermon on the Mount. And this is in Matthew chapter 5. And we'll look at verses 33 through 37. This is Jesus speaking. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. Do you remember that from Leviticus 19.12? You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this, comes from evil. You see, the people, by swearing by the things of God, by, by other things that really are at God's disposal, they were invoking God as their witness, taking the sacred and forcing them into the mundane and the profane. And so then we find, very similar to what Jesus says, the words of James. That first part we've already read, above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall into condemnation. A culture that has deception, a culture that has distortion and lie-telling and fabrication is part of its fabric, needs to invent ways to tell when they're telling the truth. And Jesus says, James says, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Speak with integrity. Okay, so if that's the text, what's the application? Well, let me first address, let's first take a look at um, where some of us might get tripped up. Especially if, if we might be uh, kind of a rule-focused person and wanting to honor God. What happens if we happen to serve on a jury 
Or, or, or when we have to sign a form that says that we, we attest to, we swear to these things being true. Um, what are we to do in those moments? Well, first of all, let's avoid legalism. That, that's the trap that people in religions get, get caught in all the time, this legalistic focus. There's actually a, a pairing of stories that take place in Matthew chapter 26 that illustrate this in a wonderful way. So let's first take a look at the good story from Matthew 26. It's a story about Jesus. So Jesus has been arrested, and he's before the high priest. He's before Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is interrogating him. And at first, Jesus doesn't respond at all. And finally, Caiaphas goes, I adjure you. I charge you by the name of God, by the name of God. He's invoking an oath. He's calling him to swear, tell us if you are the uh, the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't correct him, doesn't go, hey, wait a minute, didn't you hear me back at the Sermon on the Mount? I said no oath-making. Jesus actually replies. He replies to that charge. I charge you by the name of God, tell us. And Jesus says, so it is, so, so it is as you say. How does he actually put it in his words? Let's jump to it so I don't misquote it. Jesus in 26, um, Matthew 26, uh, and in verse 4, Jesus said to him, you have said so, you have said so. He responds to him. Um, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones. I, th- I think he's the one who uh, po- pointed it out, but that, that the difference here is Jesus is responding on the other, uh, to the other person's inability to trust. Jesus wasn't trying to underscore his trustworthiness or defend or make a case for his trustworthiness. He was trying to meet the other person in their lack of trust. That they're, given their culture and given their background, there was a lack of ability to trust what Jesus was saying. Jesus speaks into that. So if we happen to be in a court of law and someone says, well, so help you God, you promised to tell the truth. That has more to do with their lack of trust of people than with our integrity. From our standpoint, we need to be people who say yes and mean it or say no and mean it. So let's compare the other story. It's a story of Peter. It happens just a few verses down in Matthew 26. Now Peter's out in the courtyard. Peter's out in the courtyard and they come up to him and go, well, listen, hey, you're speaking with an accent. You're one of them, aren't you? You're, you're one of them. And the text describes that Peter, he calls unto himself curses. Like, like may, may this happen to me if what I'm telling you is not true. And he swears, I'm not one of them. I don't know him. Um, and what a contrast that he brings this oath and he tells this lie. You go, well, what, what else could he have done? And, and well, we'll talk about how we figure out how to frame our words. All right, so if that's one of the things, just being careful, the legalism of, of going, well, I can't, you know, what do I do if I'm a case of um, a court or something like that? Let's look at the legalism on the other side. What if we always told the truth all the time in such brutal ways? Oh, you want me to tell you what you look like in those jeans? I'll tell you what you look like in those jeans. What if we had love-based integrity, truth and love, 
Truth and love, truth and love at all times. Committed to the truth, committed to letting our yes be yes and our no be no and committed to loving others all the time. Words matter. When in James he goes, be quick to listen and slow to speak. It helps us understand maybe where we can begin, where we can begin in this. What if we were to begin with humility in our conversations? What if we were to begin with humility that, that maybe my words, maybe myself, that I'm not as important as I thought I was, that if I humble myself, trusting that God will exalt me, and I can just start from this place of humility. You know, there can be some competing starting points. In our conversation, some of the competing starting points are insecurity. And so we begin to form words to, to make us feel more secure. Or maybe we start from a point of pride. And so our words will be formed in that, that sense of my own pride and my own conceit. Maybe we have a sense of entitlement and our, warms, our words are formed out of entitlement or power or whatever it might be. And what self-awareness this takes then in a conversation when we're tempted to distort, to deceive, to fabricate, to be bold and a lie, whatever it might be, what if in that moment we just had a humble sense? Maybe the question we could ask what are my motives? What are my motives in responding? What are my motives? The second thing we could do in addition then to humility is we can focus on worship in every conversation. What if we were to focus on worship? You know, we're called in the greatest command to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. To love God. What if every conversation was an opportunity to worship? And so, as we're in a conversation, we're thinking about replies. What if we had that sense of, what would honor God in this moment? Truth and love. Truth and love. May my yes be yes, my no be no. And may they come forward from me with a sense of, the, of God's agenda for my life and for this other person's life. What would honor God? And the third piece of it, then, I would say is, is that if we have humility and if we're going forward with worship, that third calling would be community. To practice honesty that is loving and uniting and redeeming. So maybe we ask the question, what would build up? How might I be able to express and respond that would build up and not tear down? What would unite and not divide? And when we put those three questions together of what are my motives, that sense of being humble, of, uh, of trusting that God will exalt us, that sense of worship of, of what would honor God, that sense of community, what would build up and not tear down? The good news of the gospel is that we have been saved by grace through faith, and not a result of works. In fact, the gift, the, the, that faith itself is a gift. So we're free. We're free. We don't have to invent a different narrative. 
It's not like I have to build myself up to, to show that I'm somebody in front of God. God came after you and me even when we were in total opposition to Him. So we're free not to have to lie or brag or distort or fabricate or omit. I read a book a good number of years ago. It's a business book by Stephen Covey, Principle-Centered Leadership. And he des- described uh, an organization as having four different levels and that the corporate level, the corporate level of an organization, that the primary principle is alignment. Everybody has to have the same vision, mission. That the next level down would be the managerial level and that the key principle there is empowerment. Do people have their resources? Uh, do they have authority to do what they need to do? The next level down at the interpersonal level, that the key element, the key principle would be trust. And then when he, when he dove down to the very base level, what is the personal level? What's the principle at the personal level in any gathering? He identified it as trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. Jesus got there first. Jesus got there first. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Jesus got there James, of course, communicated as well. Let's get there too. Let's pray together. Father, you know how uh, easily we can move right beyond a text like this. We may have a self-image of, well, we're not really deceivers or Maybe everybody else does it, or it's just how things work. It just greases the gears. God, help us in our realization that you're up to something far bigger than just greasing the gears. God, would you give us a great sense of your purposes in this world? That we would be people that would let our yes be yes, our no's be no, that we would speak with integrity, that we would be the trustworthy people in the midst of a culture that, well, just includes a little bit of distortion or a lot. God, help us to be those humble people, to worship you in every conversation. God, to focus on building community Thank you, God, that as we put these into your hands, that you are the God that works your transformation in us. And we give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.